This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. What if a law meant to protect American industry in fact caused that same industry to shrink while imposing significant, if imperceptible, costs on most Americans? In the case of the Jones Act, that's just what has happened, according to economist Thomas Grenis. We spoke at the Cato Institute's conference on the Jones Act last month. The Jones Act has caused, in some ways, uh, the U.S. shipbuilding industry to actually shrink. Why? Yes, yeah, so, so it's uh, somewhat ironic that the stated goal of the Jones Act is to encourage U.S. shipbuilding and also ship operation, but in fact, it's done just the opposite. It's uh, it, it shrunk dramatically over 100 years when the Jones Act was in, was in force. It just makes uh, it's more expensive. Uh, it turns out American ships. Now, it costs perhaps four times or more as much as foreign-built ships. Uh, and so it's like a huge hidden tax on anybody who u- uses American ships. And so what has happened is American ships are no longer competitive on international routes. They're about 1% of the world fleet. And on domestic routes, uh, they're also not competitive with all, all the uh, domestic forms of transportation, such as uh, railroads and trucks, et cetera. So let's uh, walk through some of the mechanics of what makes this happen. Uh, the Jones Act requires uh, that ships that carry goods from port to port intra, or I should say interstate within the United States, has to be a U.S. flagged ship. It has to be a U.S. owned ship. Uh, and it has to uh, be, is that crewed by uh, predominantly Americans? Is that right? Yes, right. And that's right. There's those four conditions. So it's got to be. Uh... Yeah, built built in America, which is probably the most important one, most most costly one, and then owned by Americans and have an American crew, and then fly the American flag, which means it's got to satisfy all the American laws, and this puts it at a substantial competitive disadvantage relative to uh, the ships that fly international flags. Now we can understand that uh, a ship that comes to the United States uh, might want, so let's say, from China or from Europe, might want to drop off some uh, cargo in New York and then go down to Baltimore and drop off cargo and maybe pick up some cargo in New York and take it to uh, Baltimore. But uh, foreign-owned ships or foreign-crewed ships or foreign-flagged ships are prevented from doing that entirely. Is that correct? Uh, that's, that's exactly right. So that's what that's what uh, uh, under under competition in absence of a Jones Act, that's exactly what would happen. So that's a major restriction, a major inefficiency that Americans are facing uh, that, that most other countries do not. Can you give us a sense of how much the U.S. shipbuilding industry has actually shrunk and uh, what the impact of the Jones Act has been on the U.S. shipbuilding industry? It, it, it shrunk dramatically over time. If you, if you go back to the beginning of the United States, uh, American shipbuilding uh, uh, was so successful uh, that we exported ships to, the, to, to England uh, but at that time, ships were made out of wood, and they used these uh, uh, the wind uh, sails. Okay, as you had major changes in technology, Americans have fallen further and further behind in terms of shipbuilding. And now, nowadays, ninety-five percent of the ocean-going ships in the world are produced in Asia, uh, Japan, China, and South Korea. The United States uh, most recently produced uh, less than one percent of, of the new big ocean-going ships in the world. Uh, and essentially, anybody who has a choice of whether to buy an American-built ship or not 
uh, does not choose an American built chip. The only ones that are bought are the ones that are sort of required by law uh, for specific purposes. They're just not competitive. So, uh, you know, the the secondary effects of requiring uh, all ships that do shipping interstate uh, among states in the United States, uh, one side of one secondary effect of that ought to be that uh, this is an effective subsidy to land-based shipping. Is that is that true or is that borne out by the data? No, it, it, it is true that, it, that there's been a substantial shift of... of uh, transportation from the water, from the ocean, to the land based in the United States. And so if you look at the data from 1960, uh, U.S. land-based uh, shipping has gone up very substantially, railroads, uh, pipelines, uh, trucks, whereas during that same period, uh, water-based transportation uh, within the U.S. has gone down. Um, so yeah, so there's definitely been the shifting, and so people are causing, so people are describing this uh, this uh, shift as, as a kind of a, creating a traffic jam uh, for domestic transportation. So uh, the essay that you wrote uh, for the Cato Institute, uh, by land or by sea, does the Jones Act cause land-based transport congestion? Uh, how would we know if that were true? As I said, you you, you can look at you can you look at the data and you can see which which direction traffic is going. So it's it's changed rather dramatically in the last fifty years away from the water domestically and toward the land. And that even includes um, a number of years ago, there's quite a bit of uh, U.S. domestic transportation that went from East Coast to West Coast or vice versa using the Panama Canal. So so water East to West through the Panama Canal today, that, that's very, very rare. Uh, almost all of it is on land now. So there's been that switch from using the water, West Coast, East Coast, U.S., to using the land. Uh, and with the big business boom that's been going on uh, uh, in the last decade or so, uh, substantial uh, traffic congestion on the railroads, increase in accidents, on pipelines, a lot of them working at, at capacity now, uh, and, and in general, and the highways, of course. It is strange to think that a, uh, a law that was intended or is intended to assist U.S. Uh, shipbuilding uh, and shipping to be competitive has actually caused U.S. shipping to be less competitive. What is the state of U.S. international shipping uh, right now? Yeah, that, that is truly ironic that uh, what's intended to promote the industry has caused, caused, it, caused its decline. Uh, in, a, in a famous history on that subject, uh, people called that the, the abandonment of the ocean by the United States. Uh, in terms of international shipping, when Americans export goods and import goods nowadays, 99% of it uh, is on foreign flag vessels. So when American businesses have a choice, they can choose an American flag ship or not. They almost never choose. 99% of the time, they do not choose them. In terms of the world fleet nowadays, the U.S. fleet is less than 1% of the world fleet. It's also older uh, and, and uh, probably less safe. You make mention in your paper of the, the use of the Panama Canal sort of as a, as a metric of uh, shipping interstate uh, within the United States from state to state. And you say that it's declined dramatically. What would, what would have to change in order to uh, beef up U.S. shipping between, uh, you know, among states uh, using the Panama Canal east to west? Yeah, well, well re relaxing the various features of the Jones Act would, would be a start. And of those four features, that the, four features have to be American. Uh, I think the American build requirement is by far the most, the most binding. 
And so the fact that American ships, American-built ships, cost uh, at least four times as much, even more for certain kind of models, I think that would be the most most dramatic uh, uh, change that could be a, that would affect this kind of shipping. Do you have a sense of how much more Americans have to pay to have things shipped, or what the costs of that actual congestion on the highways uh, is? Yeah, I I don't have an exact number in my head. It's, it's you probably you probably know that's a matter of some 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 dispute. It is a kind of uh, hidden tax that the typical American who's paying it doesn't know what it is, and so it gets shifted onto consumers. But I don't have a number in my head. It's quite controversial, as you may know. So there was a time a few years ago when the U.S. International Trade Commission used to put out a kind of annual estimate of that number. And a few years ago, they stopped that after some 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 uh, some disagreement on what what the numbers were. But almost everybody who's done a study has has, has concluded that the the total dollar value of the costs of the Jones Act are much bigger than any benefits. But the the reason why it stays in effect uh, for 100 years is that uh, the costs are spread very evenly across uh, over 300 million American consumers. But the benefits are very concentrated. People who benefit know who they are. They've formed a very effective lobby. In fact, it's probably one of the most effective lobbies in Washington, aside from sugar. Thomas Grenis is an emeritus professor of economics at North Carolina State University. And now a special thank you to a Cato podcast sponsor, Carl Spetzler. Thank you for your generous gift to Cato in 2018. Without sponsors like you, we couldn't do our work promoting liberty. And if you'd like to be more like Carl, and you definitely should, visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor. 